So let's start today's sermon by standing together and let's pray together from the screens and let's just let these words become the words from our heart as we close this series. This is the last time we'll pray this prayer, but if you take a picture of it, you can continue to pray this prayer. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for loving me. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for empowering me to be stable in an unstable world. Today, I will open my heart and my mind to receive from the word of the Lord. God, show me your will and teach me your ways. As I put your word into action through my life, let me make a kingdom difference in the world and lives around me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. We are closing out this series, and I encourage you to take some notes today. I believe that it will help you. It will bless you. We've been in the book of James in the first couple of verses in the first chapter of the book. And James is a very practical book and he's given us very practical understanding here. And, and what we've learned is that God desires for believers to be stable regardless of the situation in the world. It doesn't matter if the world is all topsy-turvy, the believers should be stable. And that is easier said than it is done. But we've learned through this series that first we must be singularly focused. Anybody that has more than one focus is ultimately going to be unstable. In week number two, we discovered that we can choose joy. That joy is a state of being. It is not an emotion alone. Then we decided that we would live faith. As we live faith, it's not just a conceptual thing. It's something that, that may be there, may not be. There. No, this is an active faith that we are living out. Conceptual faith will not bring stability. It's not strong enough. But lived faith is strong enough to bring stability no matter what's going on in the rest of the world. And then last week, we had a very exciting and rousing message on intentionally maturing and why it was so exciting is that we learned that God's tool for creating maturity in us is this thing called patience. And we all just love to be patient. We discovered, uh, raise, uh, a show of hands, just 100%, we all love to be patient. And I'm lying and I'll repent after church. Okay, I'll go to a prayer partner and repent. Okay, so today I want to talk about what it means, our fifth step, to have stability in an unstable world. And that is seek wisdom. Seek wisdom. Intentionally go after this thing called wisdom. And a lot of people use the terms wisdom and knowledge interchangeably. But they're very different. Wisdom is not knowledge. And knowledge is not wisdom. If my papa, who, a.k.a. grandfather, a.k.a. Alfred Stevens was here today, he would say that knowledge is about knowing some stuff. That's how he said it. If he thought highly of you, he would say, wow, they really know some stuff. And if he didn't think very highly of you, he might say, they don't know nothing. <laughs> In his very heavy Cajun French accent. And so knowledge is knowing stuff. The phrase is knowledge is power. And if used correctly, knowledge is power. If used correctly, key point. Because knowledge is often used incorrectly. 
People share things that they were not supposed to share. People give opinions that they were not asked to give. People sometimes apply knowledge incorrectly. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody who consistently uses the wrong word to say the thing? And, and you, you heard it the first time and you knew it was a mistake, you thought it was a mistake, and then you heard it again and you realize, nope, they just think that's the one that goes there and it's not the one that goes there. It's, they know the word, it's just not applying it correctly. We can know a lot of things. We can have a lot of knowledge and not have wisdom to go along with it. Wisdom. Wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to make sound judgments on what is known. So you have the knowledge and now you can apply the knowledge appropriately through this thing called wisdom. There's a good example of wisdom in scripture. It's a story of Solomon. Solomon ends up having two moms that come to him, and they have one baby between them. And these two mothers had each given birth to children, but one of them had, had, had their child die in the middle of the night. And so when they woke up, their child was dead. And now they were both claiming the living child as their own. Both saying, no, that's my baby. No, that's my baby. And so they're, they're fighting and arguing over this. And, and they bring the matter before the king, the king of Israel, named Solomon. And Solomon is a very wise man. He operates in wisdom. And so when they bring the baby to him and say, which one of us ha is, can claim this child as our, as our own? Solomon looks at them and he says, I tell you what, bring me a sword. And I'm going to cut the child in half and get, give half to one woman and half to the other woman. One of the ladies says, that's a great idea. That's exactly what you should do. That's a, that's a fair assessment of the situation. And the other woman said, no, don't do that. In fact, I will bow out. Just give the baby to the other woman. Solomon immediately said, I will not cut the baby in half. I'm going to give the child to the woman who bowed out and said, no, give, I'll give the child up. Because no true mother would rather have her child cut in half and die in that moment. She would rather give up the child than have it die. And Solomon, in wisdom, understood this, and so he awarded the child to the proper woman, the proper mother, who would love that child and raise that child. We see it again in Scripture, in a, a reading of, in today's, actually, devotional. If you're doing the daily devotional with us, then you will uh, have read today about Gamaliel, who was an amazing teacher and somebody that everyone in his day respected. He was very well respected. Uh, and, and he's sitting there, and there's a discussion going on about whether or not the apostles and the disciples were were to be uh, attacked and were to be uh, imprisoned and, and how were we going to deal with these guys because they're, they're preaching Jesus and amazing things are happening and, and a whole bunch of people are gathering around them and what started off as just one guy and his dudes that were traveling with him are now a whole bunch of people even though the guy is gone and, and we don't really know what to do about this but we got to put this uprising down. And Gamaliel sat there for a while and then he finally spoke up and everybody else quieted down and he said, hold on, we've seen this before. And if you want my opinion, my opinion is leave it alone. If it's not of God, it'll die off by itself. But if it is of God, then you will not be able to stop it. In wisdom, he said, just leave it 
alone. Wisdom. Wisdom is so important that Solomon himself elevated it to a principal position. The scripture says in Proverbs chapter 4 verse 7, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. It's the principal thing. It's the, the first thing. It stands when nothing else stands. If you're going to get something, get that. If you have to leave the house because it's on fire, get wisdom. Even if you have to leave everything else there. It's the principal thing. Solomon Scripturally speaking, is the wisest man to ever live. Even Jesus spoke about the wisdom of Solomon. And he's saying that wisdom must be sought first. First. Now today we elevate facts over wisdom. Facts. Culture teaches us often what to think more than it teaches us how to think. One thing I hear from teachers and administrators in the, within the educational system today is the struggle of having to teach concepts and teach young people how to think when a lot of the system demands that they teach the what to think instead. Sometimes it comes down to teaching the test in order to get the children to pass the test so that they can move on within the educational system. It's a frustration for many teachers. I've had it said over and over and over again. The problem is that facts shift and change. Facts can be gathered in a moment. All you have to do is Google it. Do you remember a time when the word Google was not a word? I do. When they first said, you need to go on Google, I said, on what? I thought, nobody's ever going to remember the word. It's never going to last. I was a little wrong. It dominates the world now. And so today's generation is considered one of the most uh, informed generation. They can get knowledge at the drop of a hat. They can stand anywhere on the planet with a phone in their hand and look up any fact that they want to look up. Just Google it. But wisdom is gained through evaluated experience and exposure to different stuff. I don't care if you can quote the facts. If you don't know what to do with them, you get it. Facts are often situationally specific. So a fact that may be true right here may not be true over there. Facts... Facts are so situational and how you look at them, your perspective. Wisdom is applicable in every situation, every situation. Facts can be spun. Anybody ever heard of the spinning of facts? Okay. Anybody ever spun some facts yourself? Why are you late? Well, I had a really important thing to do, and um, maybe, maybe not. We spin the facts to fit the narrative that we're looking for, but wisdom is constant. In fact, there's a generation, a general trait, rather, of, of young people to offer knowledge before seeking wisdom. And it's not that they're wrong. We've all done it. 
I was the smartest I'd ever been and will ever be around 18 years old. Between 18 and 25, I wish you'd have known me. I was brilliant. I could have really solved all your problems. Knowledge. But wisdom is a different thing. That's why somebody can come out of a four-year education and they have the latest, greatest knowledge, the freshest knowledge off the presses, if you will, and they enter into the workforce and they work like a beast, but they may not be the most effective person in the job. And an old workhorse that's been there for 25 years seems like they're doing half the amount of activity and yet they're being more effective and getting more done. It's not that the young dude or young lady are, is bad, and it's not that the old, older person is, uh, is just generally inherently better. It's just that the older person has learned over the years where to put the pressure and where to hold back, where to hit the flywheel and where to hold back in order to get the best momentum. It's wisdom in action. And so young people, I encourage you, seek wisdom. But can I say that Solomon would say to both young and old that wisdom remains the principal thing, that we continue to seek wisdom. We never get to a place where we say, I'm 102 and I've got all that I ever need and I don't need any more wisdom in my life now. No, we all seek wisdom consistently. So how do you seek wisdom? Is there a special wisdom store you go to so you can buy it? Is there an app for that? I'm sure there is. At least it declares such. But how do you get wisdom? I would say, number one, fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. When we think of wisdom, most of us have this like ethereal concept in our head, this, this, this little nebulous cloud of stuff that we kind of pull from. But, but no, there are actual parameters to wisdom. Those parameters can encompass everything because God is the source of all wisdom and he encompasses everything. But wisdom all begins in the same place, the same place. In fact, Psalm chapter 111 verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and all those who practice it have good understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of God. What does the fear of God do? It causes us to obey Him. You have to respect God enough to obey Him. And that's the beginning of wisdom. In fact, respect does include some fear. Some fear. It, it, it includes, respect includes fear because we know that someone or something is greater than ourselves. God is greater than you. God is greater than me. And so because I recognize that, there is an element of fear. I know that he can, he can take me out if he wants to. He doesn't want to. There was a, I had a, a bit of fear in my respect for my father. There was a time in my young adulthood that I did not want to go to church. I did, was not interested in being at church. I had some emotional issues with church and, and, and so on. And, and, but, but I got in the car when dad said, it's time to go to church. And if he was at church and he was expecting me to be at church, then I showed up to church because there was a fear of my father. 
If I did not do what he told me to do, I knew that there would be a little bit of fear applied to my life, and it caused me, it spurred me to obey when I didn't want to. I'm the only one in the whole world, apparently, but it worked for me. There's an element of fear. So how did we get to where we are right now? Where respect seems very lacking in our culture and in our society and in our world as a whole. Some of it is that this, there has turned a cultural opinion against the idea of fear in respect. And we have the abuse excuse. Because it is true that people have abused respect. In every area of, the, of culture and society, people have abused respect. People have done wrong with respect. People have used respect to manipulate others and, and hurt others. And, and so, well, because of those things, it may not have even happened to me, but it happened to somebody, and I've read about it, I've heard about it, so I'm not giving respect to anybody. In fact, you've got to earn my respect before you've got it. But that's not a biblical way to do things. It's not a spiritual way to do things. But respect is lacking. Parents often struggle to keep their, the respect from their children as their children grow up. Just walk up and down the aisles at any grocery store, Walmart, Target, or anything else, and you're going to hear disrespect. Go to the park. Honey, come over here and eat this gourmet meal that I've put, prepared for you. No! Honey, I've sacrificed to help you. No. Disrespect. As your children grow up, you have less and less control. Whenever they're going, no, you can usually walk over there and pick them up. But at 52, it's harder to pick them up. <laughs> and sometimes there's still a lack of respect. How about teachers and employers? Historically, both of those categories of people would be looked at with honor and respect by most of culture and society. Today, not so. People will run down teachers in a heartbeat. Parents will go into a classroom and tear down a teacher who's working hard to prepare a student because their children is all, are always right. Why would you think that's true in a classroom if you know that that's not true in your house? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> How about even the president and elected leaders are no longer respected, even by those who voted for them? Now, we have this idea that if I'm going to give somebody respect, it's because I understand everything that's going on in their world and I agree with everything they're saying and they're doing. But that is not true. Sometimes we give respect because of the office that somebody holds. I told you about my father. I have not always agreed with my father. I do not always agree with my father today. And yet I respect him. I respect him because of the office that he holds in my life. He is my father. We don't offer respect because we understand and agree with everything. It's given because of the authority held within the office itself. In the case of God, that he is the Lord God Almighty. And he deserves respect. His office merits respect. When there's no longer any fear of the office or the holder of the office, then respect is gone. 
And there's kind of a little process that this goes through. The first part is the denial that the office or the office holder has any authority to direct or adjudicate a matter. Basically, pride says, you have no authority over me. You're not my boss. You're not me. You can't tell me what to do. That is pride. That's pride if we're two years old, and that's pride if we're 102 years old. It's always pride. Secondly, the authority is assumed by the individual, and influence is now given by agreement. So I'll give you influence in my life if you agree with me on this stuff. This is why a parent can raise a child, and I'm not trying to freak the parents out who have little babies right now, but it is a fact that as your child grows up, you go through different seasons with your child. And so you will give, a parent will give everything they can to raise this child in the way that they should go. But there will often be a season of that child's life where they will hear a three-minute YouTube video and then disregard everything their parent has ever taught them because this YouTuber who has like seven million followers said something that resonated with them and they happened to agree with it. So now everything that their parent has taught them from their entire life is not true anymore. And what this YouTuber who has no reciprocal relationship with them whatsoever cannot hold them accountable for Jack Diddley, which that's a new one for you. And... And they will say, well, that person is right and you are wrong, mom and dad. This is what what happens with pride fueling, and and now, now it's by agreement versus by office or even by relationship. Third, you have pride continuing to rise and then it fuels rebellion. So at some point, not just children, all of all of us have this capacity. We get to the place where we now say, well, I am now my own authority. I don't need their agreement. I don't need your agreement. I don't need anybody's agreement. I am my own authority. And that is called rebellion. Now, rebellion against human authority has not always been bad. It's given rise to inventions, and it's given rise to nations, our own nation, can trace our history back to a point in rebellion against England and we became our own nation. And I praise God for the United States of America. But but rebellion against God, the scripture says, is foolishness. Foolishness. Psalm chapter 14, verse 1. Only fools say in their hearts, there is no God. They are corrupt and their actions are evil. Not one of them does good. And so what this is indicating is somebody saying the authority of God, the office of God has no no bearing on my life whatsoever to the point where he does not exist. He does not exist. Ultimately saying, I am my own God. And lastly, the fourth part is that wisdom lost leads to the inability to gain true knowledge. True knowledge. Now, why would the lack of wisdom cause a lack of knowledge? Well, the scripture says they both begin in the same place. 
Remember, wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. Proverb chapter 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge also. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. They both start in the same place, the fear of the Lord, that we obey him even when we don't agree with him or don't like what he's saying. We do it because our respect for him overrides our level of disagreement. And we say, he is God and I submit to him. So wisdom and instruction despised restricts the beginning of knowledge and suddenly basic facts are no longer basic facts. Things that we thought were settled in this world, suddenly are all in flux and in question. And is that really true? Is that not true? Suddenly, culture is no longer on a path of righteousness, but it's on a path that seems right to humanity. It seems right to the man. And the end thereof is destruction, the scripture tells us. Anybody recognize this path being walked by our world, by our country, by our culture right now? We've just outlined it. It's where we're at. It's what's going on. It cannot be what goes on in the heart and minds of believers. To regain the fear of the Lord, there is one answer, and that is the word repent. To turn from our wicked ways and turn back to God. Every major revival that has ever occurred, we always can pinpoint back to a moment of repentance, individual repentance, becoming a a repentance of a community, the repentance of a community becoming the repentance of larger and larger bodies of, of Christians and believers until more and more people turn to Christ. Repentance, the fear of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2 says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. Ah, So am I going to be humble enough to repent and let wisdom become part of my life? Fear the Lord. Secondly, ask confidently. And here's where we engage our text for the series. God desires us to ask for wisdom. Ask for wisdom. Not fearfully begging, confidently asking and expecting that he will give. Because James writes to us in verse 5, he says, If any of you lack wisdom, and I am in that category of people often, Where I just say, I don't know how to read this situation. I don't know what to do with this moment. God, I need your wisdom. If anyone lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like the wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Ask for wisdom without doubting. And know 100% confidently that God is giving you the wisdom that you need to deal with the moment that you're in. When you ask for wisdom, you're 100% within the will of God. When you ask for wisdom, you're 100% within the plan of God. And so you can 100% know that God is giving you the wisdom that you need. And that's important. Because this scripture and this idea of asking God with no doubt And that being the qualifier for you receiving the thing that you've asked for has been utilized and misapplied in many different aspects. That if you ask God for a new house with no doubt that you know that you're going to have it. If you ask God for billions of dollars with no doubt that you know he's going to pour down gold bars from heaven. If he does, pay your tithes. (laughs) 
We have a building. I'm happy to talk to you about Lionheart, etc. Anyway, that's not how that works. In this area, though, God says, without doubt, you can absolutely know that God is going to give you the wisdom that you need for the moment that you're in. Without doubt. So you can go into a situation and say, hey, God, I don't know if I'm seeing this right. I don't know if I'm reading this correctly. I don't know if I'm interpreting the knowledge in the way that's most advantageous for the situation and the moment that I'm in. So I need your wisdom right now. I need your wisdom. And when you ask that, when you pray that prayer, you know 100% that God is answering that prayer right now. So then what do you do? You realize that the only way a believer lacks wisdom is by not asking for it. And so if you have asked for the wisdom, then you act faithfully. You act faithfully. Because faith always equals action. So now I say, God, I don't know if I'm getting this right. I don't know if I'm reading it right. I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm, I've got this knowledge over here and this understanding over there, but I'm not sure if I can, I'm putting it all together and using it in the way that it's, a, it's right for this moment. So I'm asking you for wisdom. And when you do that, you know, okay, God said, if I ask for that, that he's going to give it to me. So I, without doubt, understand I've received wisdom from the Lord. Well, what, what do you feel, Micah? Do, do you feel like God has just like plugged the 220 line into the top of your head and suddenly, boom, you have all this understanding? No, wisdom is not knowledge. I may not know anything more than I did f four seconds ago. But with the wisdom of the Lord, as things come to me in the day, as things come to you in the, in the meeting, in the situation with your family, whatever it may be in, you know I have wisdom to deal with this. So I'm not going to freak out about it. I'm not going to flip my lid. I'm going to sit back and I'm going to let the wisdom of God work in my life and I'm going to answer as I should. As God has provided the wisdom. It means you go from hoping God will to knowing God did. It's entering the meeting saying, thank you, Lord, and rocking that meeting. Speaking with confidence. Bringing your ideas to the table in a way that is right. And recognizing that some of your ideas may not be right for that moment. And being okay. As wisdom works in you. It's starting the conversation saying, thank you, Lord. And now speaking without fear. Who, to whomever and about whatever. It means beginning the procedure. Saying, thank you, Lord and remaining steady in the moment. Everything's going crazy around me, but I am stable in an unstable world as God's wisdom works within me. It's starting your day saying, thank you, Lord. Knowing that you're going to have everything you need to be successful in that day. And you say, well, I don't even know what I'm going to deal with today. How can I know that I have everything I need to be able to handle it? The truth is, you will never gather all knowledge. But you can consistently operate in divine wisdom. As soon as you think you know all the facts, something else will pop up. As soon as you think you've got all the understanding wrapped up, a new understanding will come. 
As soon as you think that the scientific discovery has explained it all, another scientific discovery will pop up and suddenly there's more to explain. You will never have all knowledge, but you can consistently operate in divine wisdom. And divine wisdom says, be singularly focused. Live faith. Choose joy. Intentionally mature. And seek God's wisdom. And you will be stable in an unstable world. Praise the name of the Lord. Why don't you bow your heads with me right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your people, for your church. I thank you for this incredible body of believers that you are building, that you have brought together for a purpose. I thank you for the difference we're already making in this community, but I'm, I'm asking you, Lord, to help us be stable as individuals, as families, as couples, as singles. Help us be stable. Our, our stability is not based on what's going on around us in this world. Our stability is not based on whether or not we're connected with that one that we have interest in or they're interested in us or they're not. Our, our stability is based on your word, on your power. You are the rock of our salvation. You are the stone that never rolls. You are the one that provides the firm foundation for life. And so today we stand upon you, the cornerstone. We stand upon you and we trust you. We respect you enough to obey your word. And we give up our heart and our mind to you today. As we follow you, I pray that we would be a testimony of your greatness and of your glory in the awesome name of Jesus. And if that's your prayer, would you say amen? Amen. amen. Let's stand up.